introduce you to my assistant for the month of April. This is Matthew Rye. Matthew, you can say hello to everybody. Hi. Yeah, <laughs> let's do a microphone check, okay? We'll do a little technical stuff here. This is good. You always want to make sure that the microphone's right there. Look at the folks in the camera and just give us a, uh, just say, I don't know, ad-lib it. Just say, hello, I'm Matthew Rye. Hello, I'm Matthew Rye. All right. And, hey, and while Matthew's reading, let's do picture-in-picture picture on the screen. Can we do that? director yeah, we got it so you see y'all don't know that all this goes on behind the scenes here do you but let me tell you we know our stuff okay yeah now watch the internet's going to go out uh all right no we're here and i've asked matthew matthew is one of uh the uh one of our good readers and when we had some readings back a few months ago i didn't have the chance to get matthew in here and since we're going to be doing the gospel of matthew for a couple of weeks I thought, we need a Matthew to read Matthew. So, you ready for this? All right, all right. Well, I'm going to switch it over to the screen. Why don't you give them the reading from Matthew 20? I'm turning it over to you. For Mary. Yeah, yeah, just read straight from that. Yeah. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and saw some people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went out to work in the vineyard at noon and again at three o'clock. He did the same thing. At five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and saw some more people standing around. He asked them, why haven't you been working today? They replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them, then go out and join the others in my vineyard. That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. So when those hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you've paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. He answered one of them, Friend, I have it been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So those who are last now will be first then, and those who are first will be last. Thank you for the reading, Matthew. I appreciate that. Yeah. <clears throat> they don't even, they don't clap for me when I read, but that's okay. Hey, what'd you think of that reading? Do you have any thoughts while you're reading it? I can tell that you really put some life into it. Like the, the people are, are upset. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you, you don't mean it? You didn't expect this part, did you? Yeah. <laughs> hey, thank you for the reading. Uh, We'll have you back next week, okay? All right, okay. Thank you, Matthew. I appreciate this very much. <laughs>
Yeah, thank you for paying attention to him reading the word of the Lord, and uh, that, was, that was great. This is an interesting parable. It's a parable that um, I think even, you know, I love the way he put a little bit of, of flavor into that when they're like, what, do you, you pay these people the same amount you paid us? We're out here all day, and then the other guy's like, friend, you have a problem with what I do with my money, and uh, some people do. The whole point of this parable is, this is just like a meme, the, hev- the kingdom of heaven be like. Because Jesus starts this out and says, the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he tells us this story that Matthew just read. Now there's a lot of material going on before and after that parable. Matthew 19, you, you have some stories here where Uh, First, Jesus is approached by the same class of people who are going to uh, unjustly accuse him in Jerusalem. And they want to trap him in one of the religious political controversies of their day. Under what grounds can a man divorce his wife? Because we all know that Moses said a man can divorce his wife. Now, Jesus, you tell us, is it just for adultery or is it just for any reason whatsoever? Because how do you translate that part where it says, because he finds something indecent in her? Is that talking about immorality or is that talking about you find it indecent the way that she makes your eggs? I mean, what is it, Jesus? And there's a no-win scenario there because whatever Jesus says he's going to tick off one party he's going to be on the outs with one party but Jesus turns the tables on him and says you know you're asking me about divorce and I'm saying you need to keep your vows let's talk about marriage because let's talk about what God wants let's talk about God let's talk about the king of the kingdom and what he had in mind so don't disrespect others keep your vows Then you've got the scene where they're bringing the children up to Jesus to be blessed. And even his own disciples are on a power trip. And they're trying to be gatekeepers. Master doesn't have time with this. Get those kids out of here. No, no, no. Hey, we don't don't have time for that. We understand you're well-intentioned parents, but we don't have time for that. Jesus says, you don't understand the nature of the kingdom, guys. Let the children come up here. Let the children see me. This is what the kingdom is all about. The kingdom of heaven is like this. Then you have the man with power, with status, with wealth. He's accomplished a lot. He's coming to Jesus. He wants to be affirmed as an honor student. He wants to be affirmed. He wants to get the award. He wants to show everybody, hey, I've done all of this. Jesus said, yeah, I think you're doing really great. He says, now why don't you come and join the kingdom way of doing things. Get rid of all this wealth that you trust in and serve others. And he has a hard time doing that, which causes Jesus' disciples to say, if a guy like that can't make it, then who can? And they talk about what they've given up, to which Jesus says, you're going to get that back a hundred times over. Which, if you look at that statement, and it's worth reading in Matthew 19, let me share that with you. Peter says to Jesus, we've given up everything to follow you. Notice this. What will we get? We've given up everything to follow you. Sentence could have ended right there. What will we get? 
What's in it for us? We just want to know how this pays out. Jesus says, I assure you that when the world is made new and the Son of Man sits upon His glorious throne, you who have been my followers will also sit on twelve thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has given up houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or property for my sake will receive a hundred times as much in return and will inherit eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be least important then. And those who seem least important now will be greatest then, which is a good setup for this kingdom parable. And if you follow what happens after this, Jesus, I think, is opening us up to this kingdom view to say, you know, you, if you follow me, yeah, all that future payoff is out there, but do you understand that following me is not always going to be well received? Because following me is not necessarily a way of saying that everything's going to get evened up and everything's going to be made fair in the end. I'm going to be betrayed, sentenced unfairly to die by the Jerusalem leaders. Yeah, the resurrection is coming, but this is what's ahead in Jerusalem. And so here comes James and John's mom asking for her sons to receive top honors. Okay, this, she's... She's the first stage mom in the Bible, and she's, she's there. Oh, you know, I want, my, I want my boys to do well in your kingdom. I want them to do well. Won't you give them a good spot? I mean, they've been with you from the beginning, Jesus. They were there at the start. I mean, it's either Peter or Andrew, or it's James and John. So, you know, I mean, Peter and Andrew, come on. You know, they're not nearly as good. They don't even have a nickname like Sons of Thunder. Jesus says, do you really understand what you're asking for here? You're asking for them to be the viceroys in the kingdom, but do you understand what this kingdom's all about? Because if they drink the cup that I'm going to drink, we need to go back and look at what I just said about what's going to happen in Jerusalem. Of course, they think they're equal to the task. Oh yeah, we can do it. We can do it. Sure, you bet. Eventually they will be, but they don't understand what they're asking for because they're still stuck in the idea of the kingdom of heaven having something to do with relationships and status. They have bought into the philosophies that often rule us. It's not what you know, it's who you know. And if you don't know anybody, then you might lean on what you know and you might use what you know to get to know more people, but we all want to be the head of the class. We want to get ahead. We want to be comfortable. We want to know what do we get when we follow Jesus. Sometimes we come to church and you want the preacher, you want the leaders to say, hey, tell us what is the benefit of following Jesus? I mean, we got to know that this is worth it, right? Yep. And it is worth it. And it's worth it in ways that we don't even realize at first. The two blind men are the ones that get what it's all about. 
mercy. It's about mercy, right? It's about mercy. We can amen that. It's mercy. The the, the witnesses of what is real in the kingdom are two blind men. Now think about that. The men who can't see, see it all. And we've got two witnesses like the law requires. And what they want is one thing, mercy. That's what we get in the kingdom. That's the relationship and status that's given to us. A mercy shown to us that we don't even realize we don't deserve half the time. I think this is, you know, look at the parable right in the middle of all this. What is the kingdom of heaven like? Well, it's like a landowner who pays his workers honestly and generously, and some of those workers have a problem with how he's paying everyone else. We have formulas of fairness among us. And if we don't watch out for this, we're going to get caught up in the same problem as the workers that were hired early in the morning. Formulas of fairness that exist in our culture that are almost ingrained in us because we think that things ought to be fair. This is a very American way of looking at things, but it's even bigger than America. Have you heard of whataboutism? You, you may not have heard about it, but it's out there. <clears throat> what aboutism is when somebody is asked, do you think it's fair that, say for example, uh, do you think that it's fair, somebody says to, um, to the leaders of the world, that people in your country are starving and oppressed, and the leadership of that country says, well, Maybe so, but have you seen what they're doing in America? That's whataboutism. This always happens, get ready, because we've got another election year coming up. What about those things that you said, candidate, over here? Well, have you heard what my opponent said? That's whataboutism. Whataboutism shows up in our daily life when we look at others and we say, you know, How is it that those people complain about this when they do that? That's whataboutism. And that's exactly what these workers are doing when they come to him and they say, Hey, what is this about you paying them the same amount you've paid us? I know that we agreed to that amount, But if we agreed to the daily wage and you're paying them the same for working an hour, well then it seems to me like you ought to be paying us a bonus. So we use one of our other formulas of fairness. We want to even it up. Yeah. Some of you are old enough to remember that was a song by a group called Heart. Yeah. Yeah, I don't really care for them. Don't like the song either. Because the song is all about what we want to do. It's like, hey, 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 got to make it even now. You know, they're, they're getting more than we are. Okay, well then, you need to even it up. You need to make, we need equal time. They got to speak for 20 minutes. I love the political debates where everybody spends half of their time arguing about how much time they have. You gave him 20 minutes, let me speak. 
You gave her 15 minutes more. You didn't let me speak on this. Because if we get equal time, then you know the rest of us are going to say, I'm so glad that the moderator gave them five more minutes to talk. Otherwise, I wouldn't have heard that brilliant point and had my mind changed. The other thing we like to do is, is to make things fair, we demand satisfaction. We want to satisfy our honor. We take offense. That offends me. That offends me, and I want somebody to respond to it. You know, if any of you are fans of uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, you know, you, this is what gets Alexander Hamilton killed, okay? You know this, right? We're going to go shoot each other, you know? Set it all up and everything. At any point, they could have said, you know, maybe there's a, this, is this a bad idea? You think, well, that stuff doesn't happen anymore. Oh, really? Ask Chris Rock. I mean, it still happens. All right? At some point, somebody can say, maybe this is a bad idea to get up and be slapping people or shooting them because I want to demand satisfaction. And of course, one of our formulas of fairness is to just make everybody the same. And we have two ways of doing that. One is, we just those of us in authority get so sick that we say, that's it. The whole trip's off. Everybody's running laps. That's it. Everybody's going to be in timeout. That's it. Everybody's going to have to suffer. Or we decide to get ahead of it and we say, you know what, we don't want any arguments, so everybody's getting a prize. Everybody's getting an award. Everybody's going to get a rebate, a bonus. And if you think about it, these formulas of fairness, no matter how sophisticated we get with them, come down at some point to a playground preschool level. Why did you hit him? Because he hit me. That argument has never made it very far in the world of parents. I want more ice cream. She got two scoops. I need two scoops. It's always the same. And yet, as adults, we try to sophisticate it. And we think this is the way it's supposed to be. I just want to ask you to think after telling you all this, is it possible that we've made a false god out of fairness? Is it possible that we have made an idol out of fairness? That even though we talk about the kingdom, even though we talk about following Jesus, even though we watch Jesus go into Jerusalem, we know what awaits Him in Jerusalem. We know that the crucifixion is there. And we think somehow, well, the resurrection is going to happen, and then when the resurrection happens, this is all going to just even up. It's just all going to even up. And yet we don't recognize how we participate in the injustice of the whole thing. And the resurrection doesn't erase the injustice. It's just God saying, your injustice is not going to get the last word. And we confuse fairness with justice, and so we go to our institutions of justice, and we want them to make everything fair. Make it fair, make it fair, make it fair. Sometimes Justice doesn't equate to fairness. Sometimes justice, quite often justice, is really about making something wrong right. Fairness flew out the window a long time ago. And God is making the world right because we have made it not right. And we've made it unfair and 
it becomes an idol when we think that our ability to bring about fairness will somehow bring about justice and everyone will be happy. And everyone will be fine. And nobody's ever going to be without. And no one's ever going to be dissatisfied. And this becomes our utopian false God. We need to be on guard against this, gang. Because this, this gets so close to the ideas of the Gospel that we don't understand what Jesus is saying. That we hear His parables and we fill in the blanks with our own answers. Notice what the landowner says to that first group. Because can't you sympathize with them for just a second? I mean, just try to. It's not that hard, is it? And I think that's the way the parable's meant to function. They show up and they say, hey, hey, what's going on here? What's going on here? You hired these people at the last moment. They didn't do hardly any of the work we did. They just And you paid them the same thing that we did? I, I mean... If we had known that, then we would have negotiated for a higher rate. But you didn't know that. <laughs> you didn't know that. So, so what, do we, what do we say to that now? The man's answer seems a bit harsh. And I'll tell you right now, I can't decide if he's saying, take your money and get out of here. Or if he's saying, you have what you negotiated. Now, go on your way and enjoy it. I really don't know which of those is the better way to read this. And maybe that's a good thing because it makes us think. But the one thing that I do know is that when he says, do you begrudge me for being generous, the literal reading of that is, why are you giving me the evil eye for being good? The evil eye. When we go back and we look at those two witnesses who could not see, we recognize that mercy is mercy. If you're shown mercy, it's mercy. Mercy is just mercy in whatever quality amount it comes to. Those two blind men just wanted to be able to see. They wanted mercy. And when you think about it, we are all just day laborers. If you focus on the landowner, we are all day laborers. No one reading this parable gets to put themselves in the position of the landowner. I don't care how many companies you've run. I don't care how many farms you've run. This is not a parable where you get to be the landowner. We are all the servants. And we get hired. And the same wage is given to all of us. It's the wage of God's mercy. If you've been invited to the vineyard, if you've been invited to bring in the harvest, guess what? We all get paid mercy. But I've worked here a lot longer. So, mercy's mercy. Does it matter how much mercy? This is challenging people like the Pharisees who say, you know, we've been around from the beginning. It seems like we ought to have some rights to make things fair. This challenges even people like Peter who say, hey, we've given up everything. What do we get? You get mercy. You get mercy. You get mercy. That's what you get. You get God's mercy. So just to wrap it up, here's three little things that we ought to keep in mind. If we're going to learn from Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, 
I don't mean learn about Jesus. This time of year, we all look at, at the history. There's, there's going to be history channel shows. There's going to be history magazines in the supermarket checkout line. It's going to take us to Jerusalem. We're going to learn all about the crucifixion. We're going to learn all about this. But do we stop and listen to the Master along the way and learn from Him? Because He's got some lessons and the reason why we're reading Matthew's Gospel is Matthew puts this in there, that there's a, there's a crescendo of, of the, the baseline as we get closer and closer and closer to Jerusalem, and we need to listen to Jesus' teaching. We need to be generous. God's been generous to us. Why can't we be generous to one another? Instead of whataboutism or trying to even it up, why can't we just be generous to one another and say, hey, God gave me mercy. If God gave me mercy, I can show mercy to others. This fits in with so many other parables. Think of the parable of the two sons. The lost son comes home. The older son goes and complains and says, this isn't right. You shouldn't be throwing this party. The father is saying, you're invited to all of my parties. Why can't you just come and celebrate with me? This is like the parable of the man who is forgiven of so much and then when he finds somebody that owes him a little, he goes out and he says, I want you to pay up and I want you to pay up today. And the master who forgave him of so much says, you know, that's not right. You, you have shamed my generosity in being that way. You know that when we're not generous to other people, we are shaming the grace of God. We need to be obedient. Just do the work. This fits in with the parable that Jesus tells that Luke records in Luke chapter 17. He starts out by saying, which one of you has a servant? And when you come back to the kitchen after working in the field with your servant, you say, hey, come in here and sit with me. No, no, you don't do that. You say, you fix my supper and then when I'm done, you can have your meal. Now, if you're like me, you're blown away. You know, Which one of you having a servant? I've never had a servant. No, no, I've tried to get people to serve me. It doesn't work that way. But then Jesus turns the tables and he says, okay, look, in the kingdom of heaven, you're not the one with the servant. You are the servant. So now, standing in the position of the servant, just do your work. Be obedient. And when you've done what you've been told to do, just say, I'm just a, I'm, I'm just a undeserving servant doing my duty. Life gets so much easier when we see it that way. And finally, be thankful. Instead of giving the evil eye, be thankful. Instead of giving in to resentment. Because they got just as much as you did and you worked harder. Because they got the same grade you did on the school project and you did all the work. Instead of looking at those people who make all that money for doing stuff that's questionable and, and, and you work so hard and never seem to get ahead, just be thankful for what you got. Quit focusing on what you don't got. See what we did there? One, two, three, GOT, yeah. And what we got is the mercy of the landowner. What we got is the wage that He promised. When we come around the Lord's Supper table, we are all being invited to the table of the Lord. And I want you to think about the fact that Paul says this in Romans, that sin has its 
pay off. Sin has its reward, and that reward is ultimately death. Oh, it may bring you enjoyment for a while. It may bring you self-gratification for a while, but it has its payoff. And, And this includes not just those shameful sins that everybody notices, but the participation in the sinful, broken structures of this world. They're all going to lead to death. But God's gift is eternal life. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. You don't claim it. You receive it. You don't earn your place at the table of the Lord. You don't buy your place at the table of the Lord. You can't do enough to get in on the table of the Lord. You just accept the invitation and be thankful for what you got. And quit worrying about what you don't got. This invitation to the table of the Lord is for you. It doesn't come from me. It comes from the gracious God who would give you eternal life. It comes from the gracious God who says that when we're joined with Him in the death of baptism, then we live with Him in the resurrected life. We live out that life, a new kind of life. We're obedient to it. And we're filled with generosity and thankfulness in doing so. And every Lord's Day we come to His table. Let's sing and we'll gather around that table this morning. The Savior alone carried the cross For all of my debts He paid the cost Salvation complete Now forever I'm free, Calvary covers it all. The Savior alone carried the cross for all of my sins. He paid the cost, salvation complete. 